Today we light the second candle of the Advent, which is the candle of hope. That song got to me. Um, many of you know that um, the time between Thanksgiving and New Year's is a very difficult time for our family. Um, we've had several losses, including babies and um, parents and grandparents. And uh, this is a time that's just been very difficult, especially for me. Um, it culminated kind of last year. I basically hit rock bottom. I went from being the little girl who loved Christmas so much that it made me sick, literally, every year, to um, not even being able to put up my own Christmas tree. The boys had to put it up for the last few years because I just couldn't do it. And um, I got to the point where Christmas, I'd lost all of my joy and all of my hope in this season and um, basically was almost becoming a Scrooge. <laughs> and it was very, it, it made it very difficult. So last year I decided this can't continue and I have to um, make a journey uh, to find that Christmas hope and joy again. And uh, I spent a lot of time last year in the Word and in songs and in Christmas pictures and memories, just trying to find my way back. And uh, it, it culminated with a trip to Arkansas, where we spent some time in a condo that we got snowed in. And um, we were snowed in with no Wi-Fi, three channels of ESPN, <laughs> Duck Dynasty, and um, It's a Wonderful Life marathons. <laughs> So in the midst of all that togetherness, God spoke. And in the beauty of the snow, which we don't usually get to see very often down here, um, in the beauty of that snow, God spoke and, and told me, you know, showed me that I was looking inward at all that I had lost, rather than looking upward to God and to focusing on the Christ child, and all of the hope that that brings. And yes, this Christmas season this year does still make me sad. And to think that I won't be able to celebrate my dad's 73rd birthday with him this year. Um, yeah, it's difficult still. But instead of focusing on that loss, I'm focusing on the hope of knowing that I will be able to see him again. And God gave me some verses, again, that I don't normally, in a section of the Bible that I don't usually read a lot of, Lamentations 3, where the theme says, it is a good thing to hope for help from God. I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poisons I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. But there's one other thing I remember, and remembering I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried out. They created new, they're created new every morning. How great is your faithfulness? I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. God proves to, the, to be good to the man who passionately waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. It's a good thing to quietly hope, quietly hope for help from God. 
It's a good thing when you're young to stick it out through the hard times. When life is hard and heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself, enter the silence, bow in prayer, don't ask questions, wait for hope to appear. Take it full face, the worst is never the worst. Why? Because the master will never walk out and fail to return. And that's why we celebrate the, and light the candle of hope. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you today. Are you having a good day? Good. Hasn't it been great to just worship and feel God's presence and just celebrate this coming of this newborn king? I want to talk to you today about hope. And let me ask you, has there ever been a time in your life when you have felt that there was no hope? You felt completely hopeless. Are any of you thinking about the Texans? <laughs> Be honest. I remember April, May, June, July, everyone was like, this is our year. We were so close. We are a team of destiny. This is going to happen. I am so hopeful. This is our year. Super Bowl, here we come. Preseason starts. This is our year. I have so much hope. This is awesome. Schaub is the best quarterback in the world. That was, that was the joke. That was the joke of the story. Come on, y'all. <laughs> week one goes, week two goes, and it's like, this is going to happen. Can you believe? Our hopes, our dreams are coming true. This is going to happen. And then week three hit. And it, it's like the record got stuck, and it just kept skipping back to the same loss, loss, loss. <laughs> loss. And week four goes by, and week five goes by, and it's all right. We're still in the hunt. And week six goes by, and week seven goes by. It's okay. We're still the Texans. Week nine goes by. Week 10 goes by. And all of a sudden it's, oh Lord, when will you once again come and bless us with a victory? And it's funny to watch our city go through these phases of utter hope, still hoping but nervous, to this place of, it's over. This year's done. We can, the only thing we can do is hope for next year. And the silver lining is that we hope we get the first round draft pick because of our performance this year. <laughs> Am I right? Hey, I'm right there with you. I'm a Duke fan. Last night was no fun for us either. So uh, um, I'm with you. There's, there's something about being hopeful and nothing happening. And you feel lost and you feel empty and you feel... Like a little part of you dies each day and a little bit of that flickering hope gets smaller and smaller. Many of you know uh, this past week, December 5th, 
the world lost someone um, pretty important. Um, Nelson Mandela um, lost his fight with life, and uh, it, it was amazing to watch. Um, Jen and I watched a documentary Friday about, um, about him, and I mean, I'm not agreeing with everything that he did. I didn't know a lot of his early life and some of the trouble he got into. Um, but to be in prison for 27 years because he believed that South Africa could be a better place. He believed that there could be this unity among the cultures and the races. And he never gave up hope, even when hope seemed like it was gone. And after 27 years and after governments pleading and people pleading and, and their countrymen pleading, finally in 1990, Nelson Mandela was released from prison. And I love what he did. He chose not to be bitter about what had happened for 27 years. And he began on his journey of hope once more. And getting out of prison wasn't the end result. Getting out of prison was the continuing place of, we still have work to do. We can come together. And watching the documentary, seeing everything that transpired for South Africa to have their first democratic presidential election was truly amazing. Stuff that I'm sure it was in the news. I just don't remember hearing about it. Um, bombings, um, people dying, just these scare tactics to keep the South African nation from coming out and voting. Um, I just wasn't aware of it. And yet the people of South Africa would not give up hope. In fact, Nelson Mandela, the prisoner, was now one of the people running for the presidency. And it didn't look extremely hopeful um, to the world but there was something going on in South Africa. They, they showed these video clips of literally miles and miles and miles of people lined up for their first democratic presidential election. And the news reporters would interview people and they're like, we're so excited. We finally have the freedom to have a voice. We finally get a say. And stuff that I had taken for granted for so many years. I just sat there and I was like, wow, how amazing is that? That this, this was in my lifetime. This isn't old time stuff. This nation without hope was finally starting to see stuff happen. And then the documentary talked about all the other things that could have very easily have squelched the hope. You had um, thousands of places with no ballots. Tons of people lined up and no ballots for them to cast. You had the fear of um, ballots being tampered with, so they had invisible spray that they'd spray on people's hands to make sure you didn't vote more than once, except they didn't make enough. And so when they ran out, they just stopped letting people vote. And you would think that would be discouraging. And then they found out that there was ballot tampering in the fact that three of the candidates, every time a vote was cast for them, they were getting 1.33 votes which is not an accident that just happens. This was deliberate. And yet the nation of South Africa 
would not give up on hope. They knew a better day was coming. And in May of 1994, Nelson Mandela was brought into the presidency as their first democratic president of South Africa. I love a scene in the movie Invictus. His guards are coming in, they're like, we're your guards now, and you've got all these white people from the old regime that want to still be your guards. And Nelson Mandela said, if reconciliation is going to begin in our nation, it's going to begin in this office. And the guard said, yeah, but they tried to kill you. And he said, if forgiveness in this nation is going to begin, in our, then forgiveness has to begin in this office. That is our only hope of this thing working. I was like, wow. Let me tell you about Don. Don is 88. I called him Thursday because I wanted to talk to him. Don is probably the most humble guy I know and one of the most joyful guys I know. Um, I called him because yesterday was a very important day in the history of America. Um, you with me? Uh, celebrating Pearl Harbor. And I know that Don was in World War II. I don't know. I don't, I'm not very close with a lot of World War II veterans. So I called him to say thank you. And I just wanted to talk to him and get information about what it was like because I knew I was dealing with hope and I knew that as a fighting soldier, I'm sure there was a time when he felt hopeless. And he told me about uh, enlisting at the age of 18. They immediately sent him to Florida because he was going to the Pacific. He was going to fight that front. And then the Battle of the Bulge happened, and the casualties were astronomical, and immediately it was, you're not going there, you're going over here. And he ended up in Belgium in the worst winter that happened during the war. And I said, wow, what was that like? It was terrible. You don't understand. We were lying on the ground in the snow. Wow, that's bad. No, you don't understand. If we would raise up out of the snow, we were shot at. So we had to stay flat, covered in snow. We couldn't build a fire to get warm. We were just out in this killing field. Did you know that going in, Don? Yeah. That, that was our role to play. That's where we were supposed to be. And I asked him, I said, did you, did you lose hope? Did it ever feel hopeless? He said, yeah, it felt hopeless. We knew that we had virtually no chance of coming home alive. We went over to Europe thinking, we are going to liberate this continent. And we got there, and we saw what was going on, and we were just fighting to save our own lives. It was horrific. Well, Don went on. He actually ended up in a hospital in France because of frostbite. Um, his, he, he literally was in a field freezing to death. They took him to the hospital and frostbite all over his body. They said that, he said that they had to cut off his boots and his gloves because his body was so swollen. They told him, sorry, Don, there's nothing we can do. Tomorrow we're going to have to amputate your feet. And I could hear, I mean, this was very real for Don. It still is vivid in his mind. The hopelessness of knowing I'm 18. I've barely survived the war and my life is going to be different. 
And then when we were talking, something changed in his voice. And he said, but God had different plans. He said, for some reason, I don't know why, for months they had been talking about this experimentation that they wanted to do. And for some reason, the night before my surgery was to happen, they decided, we're going to go for it. And Don was one of 100 men taken to England for this experimentation on how to deal with frostbite. So for five months, every four hours, he was given a shot of penicillin, and acid was poured on the parts of his body that were frozen so that gangrene could not set in. Every four hours. And I'm listening to him and just the heaviness of it. I just cannot imagine the hopelessness that he felt. And yet he said, God was good. Out of the hundred people, only one person lost one small toe. And I said, wow. Was that your moment where you had, where all of a sudden you had hope again and you, and it was like, okay, things are going to be okay. He said, no, that wasn't it. He said, actually, it was when we were in the heat of it all and everybody was panicked and worried about dying. And he said, there were some people in our squadron and they just had hope. It was like, he said, it was like they were able to see beyond where we were. They were able to see beyond, is this the day we die? And they were able to see the bigger picture and that there was more going on that was outside the scope of their lives. And they had hope for the war and they instilled hope in, our, in the soldiers. And he said, there's just something intrinsically he said, I couldn't explain it. It was within them. He said, when I was around those guys, that's when I felt the most hope. And I, as I was preparing for Isaiah 11, I mean, completely different situation, but I, I began to wonder if maybe the people in Israel were dealing with something similar. I mean, they were in captivity. They were prisoners. The Assyrians had taken over. And we have this side of history to understand that it was just beginning. Babylon was right around the corner, so to speak. The Roman Empire was no picnic. This was hundreds of years coming at them that we know is going to be bleak. We can read the history books and we can see, wow, this is bad. And yet God sends a prophet named Isaiah. I love that word prophet. Um, one, one book said, prophets say what no one wants to hear, what no one wants to believe. Prophets point in directions no one wants to look. They hear God when everyone else has concluded God is silent. They see God where nobody else would guess that God is present. They feel God. Prophets feel God's compassion for us, God's anger with us, God's joy in us. They dream God's dream and, and, and utter wake-up calls. They hope God's hopes and announce a new future. 
They will God's will and they live it against all odds. Prophets sing God's songs and sometimes interrupt the program with the change of tune. God gives some a vision of things to come. So we come to our passage in Isaiah, and it's Isaiah chapter 11. I think we have the words, hopefully. If not, listen as I read them. A shoot will come up out of the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor on the earth. To strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. A wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. A calf and the lion and the yearling together and a child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear and their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hands into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So let's dive right in. So we have Isaiah, and he's talking to these people, and I love how he starts with verse 1. He says, A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his root, a branch will bear fruit. Now, if you go back to the previous chapter, chapter 10, he's finishing his um, statement of condemnation on Assyria, which is coming. And he compares them to the cedars of Lebanon that will be cut down. And I didn't know this, so I did a little Googling, and I found, that's for you, George, Googling, and I found when you cut down the cedars of Lebanon at their stump, they're dead. They fall to the ground, and that stump is for all purposes dead. And that's the picture that God uses for the Assyrian army. There will come a day when I will have enough and the Assyrians will be no more and that will be the end of them. And then he goes one verse later into chapter 11, verse 1, and he says, and out of the stump of Jesse, a shoot will come forth. And a lot of times in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is often compared to an oak tree, which by its nature can be cut down and still in time, shoots can come out of this oak tree stump and the tree can continue to live and grow. And so God is saying, 
there will come a time at the right time I will send the Messiah and he will come and out of the shoot of Jesse there will be come and he will bring righteousness and justice with him. I love the way um, verses 2 through 5 describe it. You know, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear. He's not going to judge by what he sees or, or by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he'll judge the needy. And justice, he'll give decisions to the poor on the earth. And he'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. So Isaiah is speaking of this Messiah. And he's kind of talking about... Um, in this sense, this political, socio-economical situation that Israel finds themselves in. I mean, they are captives. They will be liberated. But it's more than that because verses 5 through 9, Isaiah continues to paint this picture, and he says, you don't understand. When this Messiah comes, he's not just going to be a new kingdom. He's not just going to overthrow another government so that he can instill his own government. This is a whole new order that we're heading for. When the Messiah comes, when the one who's the spirit of the Lord is upon him comes and he sets all things right, the whole world will be different. And he paints this beautiful picture of animals that shouldn't go together, coming together, and nature doing what we don't think is normal. And yet, with God... All things will be made new. I love the way he talks about the infant. This, this little baby, the most vulnerable people in the world, these infants, are going to be near this cobra's den, which is one of the most deadly of, of creatures. And we would never do that, of course. We would never in our, you know, it's like, well, why would you put a baby near a cobra's den? or a little child near a viper's nest, you know. But the prophet paints a picture of something so beautiful and so unique and so God-otherly that that's, that's how he describes it. He says, it's going to be so amazing because on my mountain, there will be no more death. There won't be this issue of, of hopelessness and death and dying because when I come and when my order is brought into being. And when the kingdom of God advances through the work of the Messiah, everything changes. And that's pretty exciting. I'm not going to lie. I love that. I love the, the, the beautiful language. But what really gets me, what really gets me fired up, what really this week gives me hope is verse 10. Look with me at verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Isaiah is clearly saying that the goal of the kingdom of heaven is expansion. This Messiah is not simply for the nation of Israel, but God is going to expand, and this Messiah it will be for all people for you, for me. This brings us hope. The love of God is poured out for us. Amen? Amen. 
And so we are part of this story that Isaiah talks about 700 years before Christ ever comes on the scene. I love it. And it makes me think of one last person. It makes me think of Paul when he's writing to the church in Rome. And quick snapshot synopsis, um, the people of Israel were basically told they had to get out of Rome. The emperor did not want Christianity in his kingdom. Well, when he died, the next emperor said, I don't mind if they come back. And the Jewish people returned to their homes. They returned to their Roman cities. And they thought, well, the church will continue. We're back. And what they found was the church was already continuing because the Gentiles had been taking up the roles of leading the church so that the good news of the gospel did not leave simply when the Jewish people left. And the book of Romans is a beautiful commentary of Paul saying, hey, we're all Abraham's children now. This, this nation that Isaiah was talking about, that's these people. That's you and me. And we are all part of the family of God now. We are all brothers and sisters. We are all children of Abraham. We all have this hope within us. And in Romans chapter 5, he says, Therefore, since we've been made right with God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confident and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. You can almost hear the people of Israel remembering their story. Oh, we had trials. Wow, the way God helped us learn endurance. Yeah, I get that. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope in salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And this is the Christmas verse I love this morning. For when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for sinners. So today, as we continue the journey of Advent, heading toward the manger with a vulnerable baby who will one day change the world and fulfill everything that Isaiah talked about. May you rest in the hope and joy that comes from knowing that you are included in the story. We are part of the family of which Isaiah spoke and Paul spoke. We do not live lives of hopelessness because our hope is found in something other than ourselves. 
we are able to see a bigger picture than where we are and when we're going to die. We are able to see an overarching plan of God for salvation for the world, and we have hope because of that. This week, I pray God's hope will rest upon each of us. Amen.